please turn to 1 Corinthians 9. We will be reading the entire chapter. This is a powerful passage of the Apostle Paul giving up his due rights in order that others may see Christ exalted and be drawn to him. May our testimony be the same. 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made us use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To, the, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Amen, brother, and thank you for that faithful reading of the word. We want to go back to that passage momentarily during the message. But I would invite your attention at this point to 2 Kings chapter 5. And let me say that it is a joy to be back with you again. Uh, we appreciate the signs of growth here at Calvary. But those very signs of growth mean that we know less of you every time we come. Uh, but it's good to be back, good to share with you. And I bring you greetings for the, from the believers in Elnora, Indiana, as well as uh, news that the Bible Institute seems to be doing well. As you know, I think from announcements, uh, we are uh, facing a small fall term but the board has determined to go forward with it, and so we are, we are going forward, and a few students are yet joining us, and any of you who feel moved by the Spirit of God to join us, please do. The other terms this year are uh, very healthy, more healthy than they have ever been as far as applications. Uh, our applications are running double what they were last year at this time for terms two, three, and four. And uh, those terms will soon be full if there are any of you who feel moved to join us for those terms. Let's give our attention to the word. And I want to read the passage uh, beginning at verse 15. However, in doing so, we need to lay a little of the background or remind you a bit of the background uh, here. This is the record of the healing of Naaman. In the Old Testament, Naaman was a, a commander of the army of Syria, considered to be an enemy of Israel in that day, and that condition remains to this day. And Naaman had what was called leprosy. It may not be exactly the disease we call leprosy today, 
that is somewhat beside the point. It is identified as leprosy and it fits the uh, picture of leprosy throughout the scripture. In that leprosy is uh, a picture of sin. And so as we think of what was going on here, we have the enemy of God's people who from a captured young woman, captured girl, captured from Israel, receives word that he might be healed in Israel. And in going, he is healed of his leprosy. Think about that in relation to the sin parallel in the Bible. And we pick up the record after he is healed at verse 15 of 2 Kings 5. Then he returned to the man of God, that's Naaman, returned to the man of God, man of God being Elisha, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he, Elisha, said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mules' load of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord, Jehovah. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master comes into the house of Riman to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Riman. When I bow myself in the house of Reman, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Elisha, he said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two festal garments. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two festal garments and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried him before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. 
And he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he, Elisha, said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went from his presence a leper like snow. This passage is a gospel passage, as I would understand it. It is an Old Testament account of what the gospel is meant to be. And it lays the foundation, or a foundation, for gospel presentations elsewhere in the scripture. It is filled with gospel pictures, as we suggested at the outset. And was there time, or were there time, we could examine the first part of the chapter, which I rehearsed briefly with you. Naaman heard from a slave girl of the possibility of being healed of leprosy. And that was acted on by the king. Word was sent to the king of Israel, which disturbed him greatly, if you know the account of Naaman. Eventually, they came to the prophet, Elisha. And Elisha wouldn't even go out to meet him. Sent a servant out with instructions. Go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Strange. Naaman thought it was dumb. But his servants persuaded him. Naaman thought he could dip in the clean rivers of Syria. A lot better than the dirty old Jordan River. But he did finally do as instructed. Which was an act of faith on his part. Faith being that which didn't make sense in terms of hu human rationale. And he did dip. And he was healed, it says, his flesh was like that of a little child, in verse 14. Now Naaman had been sent by the king of Syria for healing with gifts of expensive clothes and silver and gold, as the record tells us at verse uh, number five. He went taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. It was expected that he would pay for this healing. 
and when he went back to pay, now we find that Elisha would receive nothing. As one of the children said, zero. I want us to think about why that was. Here we have an alien, an enemy, an alien from grace, an enemy of God's people, an enemy of God, who is loaded with sin, leprosy, and who, in the light of Romans 6, submits himself to the washing of regeneration and is clean, who intends to worship God. And that is what the, the business about the mule loads of dirt is all about uh, in this context. Uh, he, uh, verse 17, he wanted to take these mule loads of dirt back to Syria. Why, why do that? Because the worship of God in that context included worshiping God in the land, on the land of Israel. And so as he would seek to worship the God who had cleansed him, he needed the dirt as he would understand it. As we in New Testament times reflect upon that, We'd say that was unnecessary. But with the understanding that they had at that time, it was quite necessary. And indicates his fervor and intention to follow God. And he's even sensitive about the fact that he has to uh, uh, go into the pagan temple uh, as he would serve his king. He had to go in because the king needed to hold on to his uh, arm in order to get in there. We assume the king must have not been well, not able to go under his own propulsion. And he's apologetic about that. He doesn't want to do that, but he's part of his duties. And interestingly, uh, it would be nice if Elisha gave his commentary on that, but he doesn't. He just says, go in peace. So this is the, the gospel picture, as I would attempt to paint it for you. The gospel comes without price, without money, and without reward. And as you look at the text, he says, Naaman says, in verse uh, 15, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so he understands some things. Will we see Naaman in heaven? I don't know. I probably would be inclined to say he seems to be worshiping in faith the true God. So perhaps he will be there. That's not our call. But the picture is clearly one of conversion.
of faith in the God who could heal, of faith in God as the only God in all the universe. And so he wants to reward the prophet through whom this good news has come. Can you blame him? If we were Naaman, we had all this treasury, as the, as the verse uh, uh, number five shows. Uh, he had a treasury. A talent is uh, estimated to be about 75 pounds. So he had a fair amount of silver. Uh, he had gold. He had expensive raiment. It was sent for the specific purpose of rewarding anyone who could heal Naaman. And he wants to finish the job. It seems that he has faith. It seems that he understands that this is not necessarily payment, but rather reward. One could argue that it's a reward for the faithfulness of uh, God's prophet. But for Elisha, it's very clear. No payment. No reward. Nothing. This is the grace of God. You can't buy it. You can't reward anybody for it. And the gospel picture, then, is complete. And the passage that we will refer to in a moment, I'll just give you a glimpse uh, as it was introduced. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in chapter 9, clearly says that the gospel is to be free. And that is the Pauline exception in terms of, of ministry. He says it is his right to collect a salary. It is his right to collect the salary. Paul says that. But he is going to those who are not gospel believers, and you don't collect the salary from them. And to make it very clear, he said, I will not receive my right, my due. The gospel has to be presented just as Elisha presented this healing to Naaman. No reward, no tips, nothing. Now, if you go beyond the gospel into gospel living after salvation, yes, Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 9 that God's servants should be cared for. But not by unbelievers. Okay? I see this as a very important issue, and Gehazi's issue is very interesting here in this passage. Gehazi was guilty of a lot of things, but it appears that the thing that God is most concerned about is that the gospel was damaged by what Gehazi did. 
Now, as you know, I hope you know the story because without that, we're cutting some corners here. Uh, but Gehazi looked at this whole picture and he says, notice verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So <clears throat> Gehazi has got some greed. He wants the Syrian to pay. These are the enemies of God's people. They come in and take Little servant girls, they take little girls to be slaves and lots of other atrocities. This Syrian ought to pay. He came down here, he got blessing, he was healed. He ought to pay. And that seems to be Gehazi's sense here, first of all. It was greed, it was a cry, this is unfair, this is wrong. And then became a personal greed, as we will see as you read through the passage. But the most important emphasis in this passage, as I understand it, is that Gehazi did not understand, he misunderstood, in other words, the message of the gospel. And he saw this as simply as sort of a business transaction which the gospel is not. And so he says, he shall pay. The second thing I would like us to notice, and we've already suggested it several times, but I want to, I want to bend the nail over here, clinch the nail. That is that Gehazi crashed God's party. He took what was a very gracious presentation of the gospel. And in human terms, ruined it. He damaged the message. He allowed that doubt to creep into Naaman's mind. I paid for that. I did something in return for that healing that God had done. And so what Gehazi did was, in essence, ruin the picture that God had presented. Now we know in the ultimate sense, as we think of the sovereignty of God, uh, nothing is totally ruined. God brings beauty from ashes. And because of Gehazi's misunderstanding, because of the fact that he crashed God's party, if you'll allow my language, we have a message today. And so, it was not all for naught. 
But as you look at what happened, it is there to instruct us about the gospel. The gospel has to be presented free. In other words, to go back and reflect on the Apostle Paul's statements, you don't go to pagans and present them the gospel and then take up a collection. Okay? We here at Calvary send missionaries and support them so that they don't have to do that. So that the gospel is always presented free of charge, without pay, without reward. Otherwise, it ceases to be the gospel. And hence, we do not do things that allow a pagan to say, I paid for my way to salvation. I paid for my way to heaven. I'm a little more sure of heaven now because I went to the church bazaar or to the church paid supper or to whatever. I contributed to the cause of God, so he has to look kindly upon me. That's not the gospel. And so we need to think carefully about those sorts of things. Or we also can be guilty of crashing God's party. When the gospel is to be presented in the way Elisha presented Naaman, Naaman's healing. Without flash, without a lot of to-do, not even coming out to meet this important person, just sending out word, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. So think about Gehazi. He wanted the enemy to pay. But in so doing, he crashed God's party. Now, did, did in fact Gehazi uh, sin uh, in terms of greed? Yes. And did he sin in terms of lying? Yes. He lied to Naaman. He lied to Elisha. Did he steal? Probably. He sent the stuff to his own house, the best you can make from this text, I believe. So he apparently had some ideas of having this for himself. Maybe he wanted to give some of it to the schools of the prophet treasury, but we aren't told that, so maybe he planned to keep it all. So he, he sinned in several different ways. But it seems to me and to others who have studied this passage in depth that the main issue with Gehazi is that he 
crashed God's party, that he damaged the presentation of the gospel, that he left that little doubt in Naaman's mind. I did do something. I did pay for this. I did something. And you see, the gospel is such that you can't do anything. A part of the whole message of the gospel is that it is by faith, which means that it is not doing anything. It cannot be faith plus works. It is faith alone. It is surrender to God. It is a recognition I can't do anything. I can't pay. I could be a millionaire and give it all to the Lord and still go to hell. It is an unconditional surrender to God. Does it produce a changed life? Yes. Does it result in righteous works? Changed lifestyle? You can, have, you can put the list on it. Yes. But is, are those things a part of the gospel? No. They are rather merely the result of the changed life of the regenerate person. Now, for, for crashing God's party, there is punishment. And if you look with me, uh, beginning at verse 24 of the text, you see that clearly laid out. And when he came, that's Gehazi, when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. We assume that's his house. He sent the men away, and they departed. And he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere, which was a lie, of course. But he said to him, did not my heart go uh, when the man turned from his chariot to meet you. So his plot is uncovered, as we've suggested. Now notice there in verse 26. Was it a time to accept money and garments or anything else? Uh, olive orchards, vineyards, sheep, oxen, male servants, female servants. Was it a time to accept anything? Apparently these other things were not a part of the thing, but and in that question, Elisha says, implies, no, this is not the time. This is gospel time. This is not the time to accept anything like that. It's almost as if Elisha overlooks the deceit and the greed and the, all of that, though he doesn't. Because the main thing is, it was the wrong time to do that. This was the gospel, and you messed it up. 
And so punishment came, therefore, verse 27, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper. And if you read that carefully, you say, hey, something unfair here. Descendants? But that's what the record says. The righteousness and holiness of God and in the justice of God. The punishment not only comes upon, upon Gehazi, but upon his descendants as well. God is very serious about the elements of the gospel. Mess with them at your own peril. And it could, in fact, affect your children and your children's children. That's how serious God is about that. And so let us learn, number one, what the gospel is. That is the gracious offer of God for healing and cleansing from our sin, from our leprosy. That it cannot be bought, it cannot be paid for. Rewards cannot be given to those who offer the gospel in Christ's name. But let us also understand that as we, as a church minister, and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 9, as we, as a church minister, We must be sure that the gospel is always offered without charge. Verse number 18. I wanted to consider a little more of this passage, but the clock has beat me again. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 18. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He says on the one hand that those who preach the gospel have a right to live from it. Those who are truly Christians have an obligation to support the gospel preachers. But the gospel needs to be offered to the pagan without charge. Naaman was a pagan. Healing was offered free, even though he had the wherewithal to pay for it many times over. So keep in mind what the gospel is. Be straight on the gospel. Remember that God's party can be crashed by a Gehazi who is thinking only of himself and his people, not thinking about God and his glory. And let us go forward together, preaching the gospel clearly and seeing that it is offered freely. May we pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of thinking for a few moments about Gehazi. It's a sad story at the end of a great victory of your grace. Gehazi, who did not understand grace rightly, damaged the presentation. May we not damage the presentation of the gospel. May we be faithful as we seek to support those who go forward with the gospel across the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.